Swetha, thank you so much. This is the second time we're sitting down together because uh, the first file got corrupted and it was unretrievable. And we talked for like two hours and it was fantastic. We went through your bio. We talked about your experience with your parents and specifically your dad, your career as a um, pharmacist and all kinds of stuff. And here we are. We're not even going to go down that path. I mean, we'll, we'll hit on some of that stuff, but um, thank you for your patience and sitting down with me again. No problem. Like I said, I believe in divine orchestration and I love to talk. So. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Uh, so I, I want to just introduce and reintroduce you to Mosaic. Uh, we've been doing, it's been a while now since we've had a Mosaic Story podcast. We've been doing them in the gathering spaces where I've been interviewing people, asking them their story, asking them to tell me about, you know, God in their life, their image of God, what God looks like when they were younger, what God looked like in, mid in middle life and what they, God looks like now. Um, but for today, I just want to reintroduce you to Mosaic. And then you have a unique position and place in my life, in Mosaic's life, I think. And I want to I explore that a little bit. Sure. Yeah? Yeah. How long have you and Edwin been at Mosaic now? I would say three and a half years, almost three and a half years. Three and a half years. And what drew you to Mosaic? The values. The core values. The core values. Um, I was... So my husband is Catholic, and um, I come from an Indian family, so technically my background is Hindu. And um, when we moved to Cal, right before moving from New York to California, we had joined a Unitarian church, and I loved that sense of community and, yeah. and honoring the sacred, which was kind of new in my life. And so when we moved to California, it was really important for me to have a spiritual community. Yeah. And we explored a few places, and my husband kind of said, it has to be a Jesus-based place. And I said, that's fine. I love Jesus, I'm <laughs> and I'm open, as long as, um, you know, it feeds, it feeds my needs as well as far as feeling connected. And so, again, we explored a few places, and um, we're, they were not the right fit. <laughs> yeah. I saw a mosaic. We live three blocks away. Okay. I went on the website. I saw your values, particularly creativity, community, and story, and my like heart lit up. Mm. And then I saw the sign that said, in the way of Jesus. And I said, bing, bing, this connects to both of yeah. us. And I have been on more of a personal growth, uh, spiritual path. So I listened to your podcast, and I said, this, you know, this sermon sounds so much like what I'm exploring. Where you're at. Yeah. yeah. And so when we came here, I, I just loved kind of just the feel here. I mean, the, the walls have that wood, rustic, rustic yeah, wood. Yeah. This is pastor with long hair. Um, <laughs> there's, you know, we have a yeah. small son. There were a lot of families, young families. Sure. And so it just, and then what you were sharing really resonated. And then the community just really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So have there been a few things in the three and a half years that you've been here that you would consider some of your favorite experiences or things that really resonated with you uh, that you've done or participated in, whether it's a formal Mosaic thing or something because of your relationship to people within Mosaic? I remember the, um, the, the, new, the new year, there were a couple of retreats yeah. that we had. Actually, there was one retreat where we went away. Yeah. And we went to Mendocino. Right on. And I just loved being being together and being mm -hmm. in that space and being in right before we, we came on, I was showing you an article about 
kind of connecting to nature and mm -hmm. feeling God in those spaces and to be able to be with people that really prioritize the sacred and to be in, in a sacred space, the mm -hmm. earth, <laughs> together away from our kind of daily lives felt very special. Yeah. Yeah. And you say that the three core values that connect with you the most are creativity, community and story. Right. And is that because of um, who you are? And, and, and um, of course it is it's because of your story and where you're at. But you say that your husband has a Catholic background. You grew up in an Indian home. So you have a you have a Hindu influenced background. Would you consider yourself Hindu? Would you consider yourself a Christian? Would you consider yourself somewhere I mean, you're, you're, you, I definitely would consider you a spiritual person, right. a present person, a person who's aware of the presence. Uh, but what would you, is there a classification or a domain that you would consider? This is where I, I, I exist and live. Well, it's interesting. I was interviewed for another podcast on, um, about Mary Magdalene. Hmm. And I kind of considered myself like a spiritual schizophrenic <laughs> 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 because there were so many lineages that resonated with me. Hmm. I didn't, I mean, I had a little bit exposure to Christianity, but I always had a connection to Mary Magdalene and John the divine. And I knew nothing about them. I hmm. just could feel this connection. And I was actually not exposed to traditional Hindu uh, religion because my mom followed a, a guru that was more of a the Sikh path, which was a very mm -hmm. mature, based on meditation, very philosophical. So they didn't have you know kids program. And then there were other people in my family that followed other um, gurus. And so when I started awakening, and part of my awakening, I feel, was also the, the creativity. I was a professor of pharmacy prior. So I... In New York before you guys moved to California? Yeah. And so when I started to have my spiritual and soul awakening, which came through the birth of my son and uh, the disappointment of not getting promoted in my career of 10 years, it uh, took me down a deep path. And it was interesting the way the divine was showing up for me through creativity and then connecting me to my Hindu lineage and in the way of there's goddesses in our path and whatnot. So again, I, used to, I, I didn't define myself because it just felt very schizophrenic, but I've had some experiences that have uni unified mm -hmm. that experience for me. And on the interview, the woman called me spirituality without borders. Interesting, yeah. And that really resonated. I actually applied for Doctors Without Borders <laughs> when oh, I was on my really? sabbatical. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone on mission trips. And what I've learned is in this, there's a lot of conversation about cultural appropriation these days. And for me, I actually see it as cultural appreciation. And I know that I'm not alone in this because I've spoken to other folks about it, but I really believe that some of our, for lots of us, our souls have several ancestors. Mm. <laughs> and so I feel that I have ancestors in the Christian faith, I have ancestors in the Hindu faith, I have ancestors Native American faith. And so I just really connect to that. I don't like to define it because I feel like it's not definable. Hmm. That's fascinating. And your transition from uh, what life you were living before this so-called awakening, which I want to talk to, you're getting ahead. Like I have, I have like scripted questions and you're, you're, it's great. It's fantastic that you're getting there. Um, but Richard Rohr talks about how finding our true self 
comes through one of two mediums, either great love or great loss. Mm -hmm. And you said both of them when you talked about Sahan, the birth of Sahan. And then also the, and I know there's some, some disappointment wrapped in, in that experience to a degree, but then there's also serious disappointment in that you were a professor um, of pharmacy at a university and you didn't get a position or a promotion. And so there's this sense of loss. And um, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna talk about that. I wanna, I wanna go there. Uh, but before I do, can you explain to me prior to that, what was your, were you, did you have a spirituality with borders? Like, did you have a, a spiritual practice? Did you consider yourself uh, an awakened person or in a path at all? Or were you just career, you know, success, the American kind of um, pursuit? Yeah, I, I think I was wrapped up in my own life. And then um, when I was about 20, my cousin went through a spiritual awakening. Okay. And I, I felt so close to her, and I wanted to be where, like I wanted to be connected. What was her spiritual awakening, briefly? I mean, she grew, actually grew up with deep spirituality in her home. Okay. But she had, quote unquote, changed. And, and this is the way it manifested. Uh, I called her and I said, do you want to go see the movie Scream? And she said, <laughs> no, I don't want to uh, expose myself to that kind of negativity. So yeah. I would say it was more of a consciousness. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I was like, what do you mean? Now I understand what she means. Sure. But I didn't understand it then. And so I started reading the books that she wrote. She read because, again, I, I wanted to be connected. Yeah. But I don't feel that my consciousness was ready for it. Yeah. So one of the first books I read was Conversations with God. Hmm. And it was like, wow, eye-opening in the sense of your parents only give you conditional love. And, and my, there's cultural influences. I don't necessarily know if that comes from religion. I think it does because it is very seeped in a lot of the teachings, which is like your parents are God. Hmm. We, we are given that message. And so, so in your home, that's what you were given? Not directly, but through the exposure of my extended family and ah. the teachings that they were receiving. Yeah. So it was incredibly conflicting for me because there was pain. There was pain at home that I didn't, I felt like it was wrong to mm. feel because I loved my parents so much yeah. that I didn't, I didn't know that you can have both and. Right. I didn't know that you can feel hurt and still love. Mm. And so I would say that I participated in a lot of spiritual entertainment, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> read, reading the books, but it, I, I couldn't hold it and I couldn't, I tried to live by it, but it wasn't, it was I, my, I wasn't ready for it. I would say initially when you got introduced through your cousin. Yes. In your early twenties. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and then I would say my first experience of feeling God happened in 2009 when I was on a sabbatical and my husband and I, we were traveling all over the world. And I had an experience in South Africa on the top of Table Mountain. Hmm. And just looking at the sunset, it was just the most beautiful, beautiful. I can see it now. It was just so much beauty. And I had this wave of peace mm -hmm. wash over me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that that was God because yeah. I'd never felt it before. Yeah. And then... Shortly after, I had taken space for myself because I was on a sabbatical and I was doing my inner work <laughs> because I was, we were engaged to get married that year. You and Edwin? Yes. Yeah. And I had 
um, both of my parents had passed away um, in 2005 and in 2006. My mom died in 2005, my dad died in 2006. And I didn't want my wedding to be about missing them. Yeah. I really wanted it to be about my love for my husband. And I don't think that I ever gave myself that. Like really allowed myself to have joy and yeah. to enjoy my life because there was a lot of pain and suffering around me. Yeah. And so I went to therapy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which we don't do culturally. You don't talk about weakness, especially mental illness. Right. You just don't do it. You don't share in pain. You don't share in suffering. You sweep it under the rug. It's, it's, I know that's in a lot of families, but it's very cultural. Um, and so I felt justified. I, like, I lost both my parents. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> and it helped. It, it helped me. Um, and then I did a lot of inner work on myself. And I did start to meditate. But it didn't, none of it stuck. Like, it helped me. I was so present for my wedding. Mm. I remember coming back to work and everybody was like, wow, like, there's a light about you. So giving myself that much attention, it really did help me. But then I went back to life as normal. Sure. I want to just recognize what we're doing right now. Uh, for those who are listening, and if you know Swetha and you've had interactions with her, you probably have experiences and memories. And I know I, I see you and something comes to mind. And I, I experienced this thing that your work coworker said, wow, there's like a light in you or there's a, there's a peace in you or however you framed it. I mean, I experienced that. When I see you, I feel like you are a very present person. Uh, you desire to be present to the person who's right in front of you and to the environment that you're in. And um, so what we're doing right now, just to, if you haven't heard of Mosaic Story podcast in a long, long while, the listener, you who are, who are listening to this, uh, we are actually practicing empathy and presence with Swetha's story. And as I hear you talk about, you know, what drew you to Mosaic, I begin to juxtapose what you're saying with what I've made up about you, mm. for good and for bad. And then as I hear you talk about your family and the, I mean, we haven't even talked about your family really, but kind of some of the influences before you had this awakening, again, I, again, I can juxtapose that or hold that up against with what I just made up. And I think the Mosaic Story podcast, and I think this thing that we're doing right now and you sharing your story helps me do that with my own story helps me recognize how I do that with everybody who's in our community and with people just in general. And uh, people, somebody asked me recently, what's the point of Mosaic Stories? And I said, well, uh, what do you think the point of Mosaic Stories are? I'm like, well, maybe it's to, 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 to be still and listen. I was like, yeah, that's part of it. Um, but it's also, I think, to see and sense God's movement in someone else's life, to see and sense God's movement in your own life. And I think that you, as you testify to your awakening, uh, it can help us see the awakenings in our own life. I mean, this is what a testimony is. You're sharing your, your testimonies, the old school uh, Christian way of saying what you're doing right now. So I want to I jump back in. Um, so you're on this mountain, and you say you felt God for the first time. What do you mean feel? There's just a, a deep sense of peace. Yes. Did you name it? in that moment? Or was it a couple months later that you said, wait a minute, that was God? Or in the moment of being on the mountain, you're like, this is, this is the divine. This is something. No, I didn't know what it was okay. because I'd never felt at peace before. Yeah. Um, I was always, and again, none of this was conscious, right? But it was, I was always living in, in defense mode, ah. you know, based on past 
Yeah. You know, this kind of protective because from my belief if if you've had pain and you've had challenging experiences one of the coping mechanisms is to to you know to really guard up, guard yeah. up your heart yeah and the heart doesn't know good versus bad all it knows is feeling mm. so the positive ones don't get any there mm. <laughs> peace and joy and love and happiness so it was new to me because I had not allowed myself to feel pain. I would not allowed myself to feel grief. I've not allowed myself to feel anger. But I think in doing the inner work that it just kind of opened a little bit of my heart. Mm -hmm. So this, these positive feelings were able to come in. And during that sabbatical, I had read, a, I was reading a book and because I said I participated in spiritual entertainment <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was a book called Anatomy of the Spirit by Carolyn Mays. And there was this line in the book and it just triggered me. And it said, you unless you've been kind of rocked or had like an earthquake of rocking your world, you don't know God. And I, to be honest with you, I don't. I, I actually met this woman. I had her sign that exact part in my book. And when I reread it, it didn't feel like it actually said that. I don't remember the exact words, but that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. And so <laughs> I'm gonna write a book called like How Google Helped Me Find God because that's funny. <laughs> I literally googled. Well, then how do you know God? Like how do you know God? And I stumbled on some webpage. And it said um, to ask for God to come to you in, right before you go to sleep. And that night, I had this dream. And at the time, we were preparing for our wedding. So we were getting married in a Catholic church in Peru. And so we had to go through pre-Cana. And we lived in Brooklyn. And so we had a pastor, a priest that was helping us through that. And in my dream, I was on top of a pulpit with my priest and I looked down and I saw all my childhood bullies and I forgave them. Oh my goodness. And I woke up at like five o'clock in the morning and I started writing poetry. And then I went to the gym and I remember walking to the gym and looking at the trees and feeling so much connection and love. And it was so foreign to me because it wasn't like, quote unquote, something good happened. It's not like I, something good happened at work or you know, something great happened at home. It was like I felt love for no reason. And that was foreign to me. Okay, so you, in my experience, are what, the, the things that you're saying is, is par for the course for Swetha. You know, like I had a dream. I was on this mountain. I experienced God. Uh, in this dream, I had a vision that I forgave all my childhood bullies. But you just painted a picture that before the awakening, you were not a spiritual person. Oh, not at all. <laughs> I, and, and so I just, I have a hard time understanding how you, your countenance so changed. We, and you woke up and wrote poetry. Like, did you ever write poetry before the awakening? Did you ever, like, you know, go into pharmacy school or being raised in your home where, we haven't talked about this in this podcast in the first one we did, but the expectations of your father the expectations of your of your the culture in which you grew up was like you need to produce you need to right. uh, succeed you need to establish a, an ego a, a, a something to, to hang your hat on and prove yourself and 
is that what you played? You played that game, and and you did you write poet? I mean, you, know, you see what I'm saying here? Like, you're, yeah. did you not have any of this? Was there not any kind I of? I think there was glimmers of it. They were so. You know, as I reflect on my story, one of my stories is, you know, I was completely confined and stifled, and I didn't have, I was not nurtured to explore my creativity. Sure. And and there is truth in that, right? I, I mean, I had immigrant parents. Like the, the it's a very real story. They it was survival initially, mm-hmm. right? It was they worked really hard. I was home al- alone a lot with my brother. In I New was York. yeah, and I I was very bullied. I didn't know that that was defining me so much. Mm. I did not know that I was living on defense mm-hmm. to protect myself. That dream was actually surprising to me. Yeah. I had no idea that that's I was operating from a place of protection because of that. That was actually surprising for me. I always journaled and um, it was mainly complaining. (laughs) (laughs) Once in a while a poem would come through and what I recently someone posted and I I just love this and it really served me. You know, she'd gone through, she's actually a Christian woman, she's gone through a lot of hard times, you Mm -hmm. know, divorce and house burning down, like just a lot. A lot of stuff. And her son came to visit her recently, and he's a photographer, and he brought like a made a photo album. And she said this line: she said, "These photos show me that even in the worst of times, love was there." Hmm. And I couldn't see that. Yeah. Right, because we tend to focus on one part of our story. Yeah. And what I saw was, I my mom had us go to a gifted school for the reason of education as a way to freedom in the immigrant family. But the the school I went to was a gifted, an arts school as well. So we were, there was a like a, a theater attached to the school and we did performances, we did international performances. And, you know, there was another mom who made outfits for me. And, you know, there there was love in the way that I wanted to be loved, mm-hmm. which was to explore my creativity and my artistry. Again, none of this was conscious. So, and, and, and I also, I was both a conformist and a rebel, which is kind of <laughs> interesting, you know? And, and so like, I wanted to play tennis and I, when I was old enough, I made opportunities for myself. So yeah. yes, I didn't get that nurturance per se for my expression, but it, it doesn't mean it wasn't there. So as I hear what you're saying, um, I think of you giving yourself permission at some point in your life to explore the things that were probably there, but they weren't celebrated. They weren't held high. They weren't the things that were the talking points, the icons in your family value system. Right. But then something happened. And, uh, on that mountain, something happened a couple years prior in that both of your parents passed. Mm Uh, but something happened to where you were willing to and able to let go of those storylines and those icons to a degree and gave yourself permission to explore freely the creativity, the um, just, a, just a different story right. than the one that you had. Yeah, I think that you know we all have an essence that is at our core. And what I have realized for myself was that, you know, there's a saying that says, um, if a flower doesn't bloom, you don't blame the flower, you change the environment. Yeah. And I wasn't in, in an environment that was completely 
nourishing for yeah. my essence. Yeah. However, what I know to be true now is that part of me leaving my environment is traveling. I have had, and again, these are not conscious, but when I finally became a professor and had my own money yeah. <laughs> and had that kind of independence and freedom, I took a trip to Peru. And I had traveled very little at that point. I had you know, gone to Caribbean and I'd gone to um, India once, which I actually had to kind of fight to go. I had not been back to my own place of birth for 14 years. Mm. But they were not, I was with my family. So there wasn't that kind of full-on expression or freedom. Yeah. Peru, I would say, was my first trip where I got to really feel that connection and freedom. And when I got there, it was on the outside. You would be like, how could that? And this is how naive I was. I was 24 years old, going to the mountains of Peru. I packed high heels and skirts. <laughs> Wow. When I arrived there, uh, my cousin and I literally like spun a globe <laughs> and we're like, where do we go? And we wanted to go somewhere really exotic. It felt like we were going to go to Mars. We wanted to go to Africa or <laughs> South America. <laughs> and this is how sheltered I was. Yeah. You know? And um, we picked Peru for two reasons. We had just read the Celestine Prophecy, which is all, all about Peru. And it was the most affordable. <laughs> it was the most, yeah, the closest, <laughs> so, yeah, 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 of all the exotic places. And what we really wanted to do was volunteer, but yeah. volunteering is quite expensive, actually, yeah. if you go through volunteer organizations. And this was a Spanish school that was dirt cheap, and they had volunteering as an option. Yeah. And so when we got there, I, again, how naive I am. What's that mountain in the picture frames all over the place? Like, I didn't even know what Machu Picchu was. Mm. And... I take we take these Spanish classes. We're staying with a family. They don't speak English. It's freezing cold. There's no heat. There's no hot water. There's no water after a certain time. Bed bugs all over me. And I couldn't have been more happy. Hmm. And I remember walking down the street and saying to my cousin, like, can you believe we're walking around in a foreign country where we don't speak the language? And I feel so safe and like yeah. free whereas i'll go to india where i'm from and my family would not let me walk out of the house with money yeah and i loved it so much that i was like we need to stay longer so i extended my trip a week little did i know that on almost the last day i would meet the man who would become my husband wow and i was very out of character while i was there and I had literally, like, for example, I had broken up an engagement prior to going. And in my culture, you are not allowed to date. You're not allowed to look at boys. And then you hit 25 and it's like, go get married. Yeah. And I had and, and, and I had broken up an engagement where the whole family was involved. I felt like I brought a lot of shame onto the family because that that's a big sense of pride. Mm -hmm. My mom literally told me, like, I will not die until you get married. Right. Like, that is how you feel accomplished <laughs> yeah and and um and so it was i literally went to peru and I, and I just made this i'm doing this for me this is just for me and i connected to this part of my energy which was adventure hmm. and so you know now a lot of people say to me like wow your husband goes along with you in all these radical changes that you're making, like randomly picking up my family from New York to California because I saw some signs. And 
a lot of people think it's like I can't do that because my husband is not like your husband or doesn't have that mentality or my family won't let me do that and and I always say I didn't I connected with a part of my soul that attracted the right person that mm -hmm. was actually the first time I'd ever followed my heart was when I said yes to being with a man from a different religion. We don't speak the same language. I had two weeks of Spanish under my belt. My husband didn't speak English. Wow. Um, we lived 8,000 miles away. And it was the, and, and then on top of that, not six months later, my mom died. Hmm. And, but it was allowing, and I remember my, I had a, like a light transformative conversation with my cousin where she said, is it fear or is it doubt? when I was exploring whether I should yeah. pursue this relationship. Yeah. And I said, it's just fear hmm. because there's no part of me that doesn't feel at home when I'm with him. Yeah. And, um, and that changed everything for me. And suddenly like this impossibleness became possible. And there were all these magical things that happened with regards to getting a visa and all these experiences. And so I had a, like a taste of living the, the way that you speak of me now. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't like because of the death of my parents and, the, and being back in my environment. Hmm. It was almost like I moved to New York and I finally had this freedom and then I was sucked back in. I mean, I literally moved back in. With, I had to move from New York to New Jersey to be with my brother and my dad because that's like how we do love. <laughs> hmm. and, um, and I kind of just went back into that kind of rabbit hole. So help me a timeline wise. So you're, uh, you know, you, you grew up in New Jersey, you went to school, your cousin has this awakening at around 20. Mm -hmm. You say, I'm, I'm interested in this, but how much further do you explore, uh, you know, you, before you go to take the trip to Peru, how old were you when you took the trip to Peru? I was, uh, 26, 26. So in those six years you are Continuing to play the game. Yes, You're, I'm. Yeah. Da I'm in that six year miserable in pharmacy school. Yeah, miserable, and um, so it's interesting because recently I listened to an interview again. I, I, everything is magical in my life now. Like I went to go listen to the interview with Michelle Obama, and instead Sue Monk Kid is the person being interviewed with Oprah, and she wrote this book called The Secret Life of Bees, and. Mm. I have a connection to that story because uh, I've had a magical experience with Mary Magdalene and I want to write it, but I don't want to write it as a nonfiction. I want to write it as a fiction, but I don't have any experience. Sure. And this story is actually a fictional no novel about the Black Madonna. But what was really like, oh my God, was in the introduction, Oprah says, you were a nurse before. Like, how did you become a novelist? And she said, um, you know, was that just like a practical choice? And she said, yeah, it was, but it was also that I lacked courage. Yeah. And so a lot of my story was my family influenced me. And to be honest with you, I've done a lot of reflection work on this. Mm -hmm. My brother did suggest for me to be a pharmacist because it's good for a girl. Culturally, a lot of Indians go to pharmacy school. Oh, wow, yeah. My mom always had a dream to be a doctor and she had, she had to sacrifice that because she had an arranged marriage and moved to this country. And part of my inner work, um, my deeper inner work, when I had my deeper awakening after my son was born, I realized that I was actually living out my mom's dream. Yeah. And it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't conscious and it wasn't like you need to be a doctor. 
but it was that's that's subtle. No, I, right? no doubt about it. I think yeah, environment is so important. So important. Environment changes people. Environment teaches people. Environment ed educates, invites the stories that are celebrated. And I think that for for my wife and I, you know, our our great awakening in life happened because we moved to the West Coast, mm -hmm. because we we lived in LA for a little while, then we moved up here, and we were just exposed. To, to so much more of the world than what we were exposed to. And the storylines that are celebrated from where we came are great storylines. They're just not the only ones in the world. And as we began to experience other stories, other uh, myths that are important and drive people's lives, we, we began to change right. and to consider new things. Right. And so you, 26, you went to Peru, you met Edwin, you then over the course of the next two to three years, you guys have this relationship, mm -hmm. distance relationship, but then you go on this long trip. You, you go on the sabbatical together, and that's where you're on the mountain, so you're in your almost 30 when you have the mountain experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And is, does that experience then allow you to fully let go? Again, no, because okay. after the sabbatical was done, you went back into I it. went back to my job. And I did change like, and this is what I've kind of realized is that it's not an all or nothing, right? It's, it's, um, kind of like when a plant is being grown, it, it needs that, that structure and that support and you, sure. you get to a certain level and then you get stronger and you can, you can, I can more deeply live in my truth. So it's not like I was not living my truth and God wasn't present in my but it wasn't like radical. Yeah. You know, so I went back and I restructured things at my job. That was a big part of, of I think my melancholy, you mm -hmm. know, is, is that not being, not being able to express my gifts, not being in a, and I, in a, and I, I was able to, because there was a lot of creativity in my job, but it, it was later on, I realized not an in integrity with my beliefs yeah. of, I'm teaching students to basically numb people. And I'm not against medications. There's a sure, place there's for a that. Whole, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, a whole that's other a place for that. But I could feel at my core and my root there, you know, there's there's a healer in me. You weren't fully true to, you know. Right. But it it was your essence. Right, exactly. And but I did, you know, I restructured where I was showing up in an environment that wasn't completely conducive in a way that was honoring yeah. and I was creating new programs and I, and I really loved it. I mean, yeah. I created a lot of new heart centered programs in educating patients and teaching my students how to have empathy. And I didn't know these gifts were natural. They were natural too. So I was expressing my gifts and in, in counseling patients and I was coaching students. I was doing all these things, but it wasn't fully embraced in, in, um, in the way that was true to, you know, what I like really believe. So you guys get married, uh, move, move to New York together. Mm -hmm. You are trying for, for this promotion or there's a, a promotion a couple, a couple years later, I'm guessing. Yeah. So I applied for a promotion, um, early on, but I was just doing it cause everybody else was doing it. I didn't yeah. really feel like I put in my work and then I have this awakening, go on the sabbatical. I come back, I restructure with my heart. Like I'm really putting everything in and I'm being the creator. I'm not just being a victim to my circumstances and trying to kind of fit in. I'm doing work that's meaningful for me. So I made my work meaningful. And I mean, I was winning awards. I was like, 
really uh, getting lots of acknowledgement. And so then this time for promotion comes up again. And I'm kind of thinking I'm a shoe in for it based on what everybody had told me. Yeah. And then I remember sitting in my dean's office and he's like, you know, the committee did not like pass your promotion um, because it was based on publications, based on teacher evaluations and based on service. And I remember the world of academia. Yes. And I remember bawling like what's then what is the purpose of all of this? You know why I put my heart into this place. Yeah. And um, it was really disappointing. And I, d- I was just a new mom, mm-hmm. you know. Sahan was probably six months at the time. Sure. And um, going back to environment, when Sahan was nine months, we took a trip to Israel. And we took a trip to, well, we went to France, Israel, and um, Belgium. And I didn't, again, I didn't, I, I didn't have the acknowledgement that I have now, or the awareness that I have now. But becoming a mother is a huge identity shift. Oh. Spiritually, yeah. becoming a father, becoming, becoming a parent. Becoming a parent, yeah. And I remember Sahan was, you know, I woke up at six o'clock in the morning and I was sitting on the balcony, staring at the Sea of Galilee, just bawling and bawling and bawling. And I didn't know what I was feeling I can tell you now it was grief. It was a grief. It was grief because I knew there was a letting go that was happening Mm -hmm. of my identity of this. I knew I had to leave in a way. You know, I feel like your heart and your energy knows before your brain does. No doubt about it. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt about it. I mean, the thing that you're saying is the thing that I've experienced in the last little bit of my life. Yeah. And um, and I remember when I came back, we came back from that trip. And I, again, I do feel because I was on sacred land. You know, Peru is sacred land. Jerusalem is sacred land. Yeah. And I and I love that because I take people on retreats now. And there's something about being held by land that can hold this deep, like, you know, just ripping away of your life. Yeah. <laughs> that that is hard to do just on your own. Yeah. <laughs> and um, when I came back, there was this little seed of, I want to be able to like be with my family. I want to explore my creativity. I want to spend more time at the park with my child. And I had golden handcuffs. I had so much flexibility. I mean, 15 weeks vacation. I, I had two different sites that I had so much flexibility. And I think the blessing of it is there's more. There's always more. There's no limit to goodness. Mm-hmm. But we're taught there is. We're taught there is. And It's scarce. Right. That's what we're told. I mean, I think our world is set up in, uh, yes. in the West especially. There's the scarcity of yes. everything. Live, be anxious, you know. Yes. Um, and there was this, this seed that started to this desire and I call them divine desires, heart desires. And I remember coming home with, with my son. And at that time, you know, Sahan was born premature and we were like, Oh, parent needs to be home. So Edwin stayed at home with Sahan because I was the breadwinner. And we said a year. So it was like coming up to a year. And I remember coming home and I said, honey, I, I would like to explore going part time and to just explore, other options. Would you be willing to look for a job? 
um, in government <laughs> so we could get benefits. So my husband's a trained architect and um, part of being an academic is we got free education. So I kind of told him, why don't you get another degree? Because it's hard to get licensed sure. here. And my husband, my my father, that was his story. He wasn't educated. He came here. He went to accounting school. And he became. He worked for the IRS, and he raved about the government. Right? He was so relaxed and That's funny. all the benefits. And so, so he was like, "Okay." Little did I know is that when you take one step, it's like God takes ten steps towards you. That's so. That's, <laughs> yeah. So I thought this was going to be a slow change. Yeah. And the next month or next day, I think it was the next day actually. I went to work. Had a good day. Day two, I went to work. I came back with a raging, raging migraine, yeah. like raging. And I took my pills. I did everything. And I said, I can't take this pain. Like, what? What is it? I said, what is it, God? And I, and I didn't go to God. That was not my go-to. And I heard, you need to quit right now. So fascinating. You know, we've been talking at some level about letting go. And uh, this other place, it's kind of like, hold on tight. Yes. You know, and being wound up. Yes. And the moment you say you take one step, God takes 10 steps toward you. You gave yourself permission to entertain the, maybe I don't need to be so wound up. And the moment you cut the cord, it just totally unwinds. And your, your body, I think our bodies communicate right. reality to yes. us to a large degree. You know, um, I think a couple of years ago when my back broke, it's, I'm, something's communicating, something's being spoken to me. Um, but for you, it's a migraine, and you needed to quit. So what'd you do? So Edwin comes back home with, from the park <laughs> with Saad, and he goes, I said, honey, God said I have to quit right now. And he was like, okay, well, I guess we can argue with God. Oh, my goodness. What a what a great relationship you got. A faithful and, uh, you know, well, that's supportive husband. That's yeah. the benefit of growing up with someone who did grow up with faith. Yeah. You know, he did grow up in a home with faith. Mm. And... Um, and he's an adventurer. What was the exact statement he said? I guess we can't argue with God. I guess we can't argue with God. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so you quit. I quit. And you guys moved to California. How much How much longer after that? So it was a process. It was, you know, I quit the university first. I created a consulting position because I was affiliated with a, a pharmacy that I had of 10 years. And um, a lot of people were like, what are you going to do now? And I was like, you know what? I don't know. And I've never not known. I've never had a chance to explore. <laughs> it was always like, <laughs> go to school. Yeah. And then I went to six years pharmacy school. It was like, yeah. you know. And so um, I recently heard, I read in a book, there's this book by this woman named Barbara Sher. She writes a lot of books called, you know, like, I would know what I want to do. I would do what I want if I only knew what it was. And wishcraft and all these other uh, books and she says you kind of go through two adolescents right so there's the adolescence of like 18 and when you're exploring and all that and then you go through another one which is basically midlife right mm -hmm. where you reach your goals and then there's this new like second coming I guess you could say <laughs> and um and so I just started taking some classes and I started doing some things not knowing again it's these little subtle choices that we make that you you have no idea that you're stepping into this massive transformation. And so I had looked up, a, there was a spiritual center in New York called the Open Center where they teach a lot of classes. And I said, I'm gonna take class, like I'm just gonna allow myself to explore beyond what I know. And um, one of the first classes that popped up was a medical intuitive class, which the book I read, Anatomy of the Spirit by Carolyn Mace, she had actually coined the term medical intuitive. 
And so essentially, it's a lot of what we're talking about, where it's like, you're, you know, the source and roots of our problems come from emotional and spiritual sickness, and that the body reads before our brain does. Mm. And so this was a process of learning how to read, uh, read bodies to see kind of what is, you know, what is your body seeking? What is it saying? Mm. I had no idea that was going to be such a deep process for me. And in one of the classes, she said, whatever we don't heal within ourselves, we will pass on down to our children. Yeah. And that was like this huge, oh my God, that's what happened to me. What we don't transform, we transfer. Right. We transmit. And I had this awareness that I had inherited all of my, my family trauma. Hmm. And, you know, my parents went through, like, they were uprooted. They were born in Pakistan. They were part of the 1947 partition. Hmm. Re, you know, like, really, there was a genocide and they were you know, moved to Bombay and then coming to America. There's so much trauma and there's other trauma in my family that was never spoken about ever, which I actually have um, an essay being published about in a book in January. Wow. And so the family legacy was like silenced and we, you know, and, it, and, and it's, it's a very strange thing and I, I can see that a lot of people are actually experiencing this where they're feeling this inherit inheritance and they think something's wrong with them not realizing that it's it, it was in, it's inherited it's not actually always their their own stuff hmm. especially if you come from a lineage like jewish or any any religion that has real collective trauma hmm. and so um i like basically made a claim and there's science behind this epigenetics you know that shows that when we're in our parents womb the cells you know like we're inheriting all all of it and I made this declaration of, I will not do that to my son. Hmm. And I, as hard as it is to do this deep, dark soul work, I will do it fully because I don't want, I want my son to live his potential and I want him to have the experience, his full experience. And so that was my motivation. Yeah. And then slow, because I think it's hard for us to do this stuff just for us. Yeah. And now I do it for me. Yeah. I do it for me. I don't do yeah. it for my son. So, yes. And so part of that was just kind of realizing we're outgrowing New York. I needed more nature. And so we quit. Outgrowing I New York. This <laughs> <is> <laughs> <laughs> Who outgrows New York? But yeah, I, I right. know what you're saying. Or feeling out of alignment, yeah. out of harmony yeah. with New York. And um, so I started, you know, writing at that time. I hired a life coach. And she said, what's your dream? And I was like, dream? This is the New Yorker in me. Yeah. Who has time to dream? I got a job. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> she said to me, well, you're numb. I said, okay, well, how do I get a numb? And so I started using the tools. My heart started to open. I literally like woke up in the middle of the night, opened up my computer. I started writing and I, that ended up being a blog. For four years, I blogged. Like there was so much expression that wanted to come out of me mm. that I, I had no idea. Like if you would have ever said to me, you know, you're a writer, I would be like, you're crazy. I don't, till this, I still don't know where to put a comma. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so then we got an opportunity to go to Spain for two months. And so we're on the Spanish Riviera. I published my first book. I mean, it's supposed to be magical, like all this amazing, this is our dream. And I, I couldn't receive it fully. My, my mind was still telling me I didn't deserve this. But then there was also something missing, which was community. So here we're in this beautiful Spanish Riviera, amazing, right? And um, 
and I didn't realize how much I needed community. And I was always surrounded by a lot of people. I have tons of friends and family in New York. But I felt very alone. And I don't think I allowed myself to be honest about that. And um, so when we came back, I said, we, 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 Edwin and I were both like, we're ready to move. We didn't know where. And so we made a list. And the top of my list was community. And we said, you know, good weather, uh, good schools, walking neighborhood, like all the things we love. Yeah. I thought we were going to move to Columbia, South America, because I had done a retreat there. And it had all of those things. And it was very affordable because money was an issue now. And I came out here for a workshop and um, an Enneagram workshop. <laughs> to the Bay Area. Yes, to yeah. the Bay Area. And with, at this point, I started to see the subtle. I started to pay attention to signs. I started mm. to go beyond my own story. And I could see how divine intelligence was guiding me. And I saw five owls in five minutes, which was very symbolic for me. My husband was in Peru, and I literally called him up, and I said, we're moving to Northern California. And he was like, okay. And our apartment rented which it was not renting for three months. Wow. <laughs> it was just like boom, 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 everything yeah. everything fell into place. And so you guys moved out to the Bay, and how long after arriving did you discover Mosaic? Uh, we moved in August, no, we moved in March of 2015, and we came to Mosaic in September. Wow. Because we, we didn't say we're, we're landing here. We yeah. literally put our stuff in storage, brought out five suitcases, and I said, you can't get a job. We're going to feel <laughs> if this is the right place for us. Yeah. So we subletted for two months in Oakland, and then we subletted for two months um, in the village. And then I was like, yeah, this is, this is where we need to root. So today, now a couple years later, a few years later, the, the commonplace for you guys is what? Like, what is your... What are you doing? Mm -hmm. What's Edwin doing? You're part of Mosaic. What is your What is your life now? What's our life now? So I I'm a story weaver <laughs> and a soul coach, and what I mean basically I write. I'm a writer. Um, I support other people that are going through soul awakenings, trying to live in the quote unquote real world, mm -hmm. helping them to trust their inner guidance and to call it co-create the right environment for their essence to thrive and trusting how God is speaking to them. Hmm. And so I offer private coaching and um, I have a group coaching program right now and it's, I love it. Um, Edwin is working, he's like I said, a trained architect, so he actually works for a designer not too far away in Richmond. We've been in our apartment for three months. Uh, hmm. Sahan goes to school, like everything is, so lovely because it's like my commu my community. I really, really created yeah. community. Yeah. And I hadn't realized what a wounding, not feeling like I had family because I have fa I have lovely family, mm -hmm. but that sense of not belonging was very deep for me. Yeah. And I can honestly tell you, I don't feel that anymore. I feel very belonged. Hmm. And um, I would say, you know, well, what would goes off in me is like, praise the Lord um, or like right on or. Yeah. And mosaic what, was, what was definitely a big part of that. Hmm. You know, here I am, this non-Christian talking about 
you know, the divine feminine and talking about signs. I guarantee there have been people who've, <laughs> who've heard you and you have made them so uncomfortable with some of the things you've said. And then there's another person right next to him who's just like, man, I'm, this is amazing. This is brilliant. This is bright. I need this. Right. And I think that that's, uh, in a large part, a lot of people at Mosaic, not just you, but people yeah. br being themselves. Right. And the beautiful thing about the metaphor of the name of Mosaic, it's, it's reality of Mosaic. Like right. we really are a community of people from many different backgrounds with many different yes. uh, values and, and things that we bring to the table. Uh, what's great is we all have permission to bring ourselves yes. to be here. Yes, it definitely feels that way. And, that, and you know, the energy of Mosaic to me is family. It really yeah. is family. That's great. I love mm -hmm. that. So we've been talking for a minute. I want a couple quick hit questions. When I say God, what comes to your mind? Everything. Hmm. Everything. So like existence or ev every like experience? Everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, the magnificent. I mean, God is in everything for hmm. me. Hmm. Objects, people, nature. Yeah. Words. <laughs> When I say religion, what what comes to your mind? Is it something that you're 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 part of, or is it something that you you're you're more spiritual or? The word that just came to me was constriction. Hmm. Yeah, because I I believe that it and I, and I I really appreciate people who gather in the Christian faith or in the Hindu faith and. So for me, it's not like, oh, you have to believe in everything. I mean, if you really resonate with the teachings of Christianity or, of, you know, an, another religion, I support that completely. I, I, the, the constriction comes from the way I've seen religion done. Sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, as, as, a, as it's, it confines, it confines to yeah. kind of dogma and rules and, and whatnot, and almost takes the sacredness out of it. Yeah. Jesus. Forgiveness and compassion. Hmm. Is Jesus a, a guru, a teacher, uh, a, a way? I just gave you all those. I'm prompting you. I should not prompt you with that, but what, what is forgiveness and compassion? That's what he taught and embodied. Yeah, but for me, I, I feel, you know, I... I believe in Christ consciousness, and to me, that he is the embodiment of Christ consciousness, hmm. which for me is a deep lesson that I, and I'm still learning, is the forgiveness and compassion towards others and myself. Hmm. And I always feel that he comes to me when I need that. I, f I just, I feel like he's a friend. Yeah. You know, he's a friend. Just like, you know, today is the feast day of, of the divine of, of la virgen de guadalupe who's the mother mary from mexico and she to me is that energy of unconditional love and so i feel these you know these highly you know <laughs> these these i, I want I, I feel like there's no word to justify these beings um or these rep they're representations of of virtues <laughs> yeah swetha kevin <laughs> what comes to mind when you say Sweta? When I say Sweta, you're like, that's hilarious. I just, yeah, yeah. I have two, I have two last ones. <laughs> Sweta, you're like, Kevin, yes. That's hilarious. That. Light. My name means light. And um, 
I really resonate with that. Hmm. And I, what's, what's now? What's next? What is, what is it that you're leaning into? So every year I um, actually, I feel an energy coming through me that wants to be experienced and it starts to show itself around this time of year. And um, it's archetypical often. So it's, it's usually like an energy that wants to be expressed through me. And then there's also the lesson that I meant to learn that year. And then there's my own stirring, my human desire, my heart desire. Yeah. And so like this year, it was all about connection and it was about weaving and co-creating and time. Time was a big thing for me this year. And what's unfolding for next year is fluidity. And so, you know, you talk about the pre presence and I, I really feel like we have to be so intimate and present with ourselves to know how to respond in situations because it's, it's not always black, it's not black and white. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel an expansion coming mm. and I feel m more expression coming through. And so what I'm feeling is even more deeper intimacy with being really present mm. and having the strength to, to be able to respond with grace. Mm. And so um, the one of the, w you know, some of the words are like fluidity. Um, the archetype that's coming through for me is the liberator. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's what's unfolding. There's something, there's definitely a, a change coming forth. Hmm. Fluidity, liberator. Swetha. Heaven. <laughs> Thank you so much for You're your time. you very much. For, for sitting down and sharing your story and uh, helping me get to know you a little more and I'm fascinated by your awakening, mm. by your story. It's, it's very encouraging. Thank you. Uh, it's hopeful. Appreciate that. Yeah. And thank you for giving me the space to share my story. And what I love about story, what I love about mosaic stories is that everybody gets to connect in the way they're meant to connect. Hmm. It's not giving advice. It's not telling anybody yeah. how they should be. And, and it's just, it's like a mosaic. It's so, mm -hmm. it's just so diverse, but so beautiful, like so connected. Yeah. And it's really a gift to be able to learn in that way and to expand and grow in that way. That's well said. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>